mm-mm-mm, he's good. If we went home, we could go home right now and we'd say, well, we met with the Lord. I mean, we could. We'd go home and say, we've been blessed. We'd go home and say, we've got a Savior. Say, we've felt the Spirit and hallelujah for it. But God's laid something on my heart and I'm, I'll do my very best to be brief um, and, and give as much time to, to brothers as I can. But God's laid this on my heart. And uh, I'll be honest with you, because um, I always, uh, for as long as I've been in preaching, have tried my very best uh, in every scenario, everything, to be honest in the pulpit. And I'll be honest with you. And some of you know um, that I, was, I had been preaching up at Spring Creek. Um, that's up in Bulletin, Brother Bob McCurry's church. I'd been preaching up there for, gosh, about six months, uh, on and off, of course. They, didn't, they haven't had a pastor, and so I've been filling in for them. And uh, I was very excited about preaching there. I'll say it that way. Very excited about preaching there. Um, and things happen, and a turn of events, and things like that. Well, I, they have asked me not to come back, and that's, I've come to the conclusion that that's God's will. That's what God wants. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, it's just 100% honest with you, that broke my heart. And I, I, honest, it broke my heart. I was broken. And I got to a place, got to a place where I didn't want to come to church. I didn't want to hear preaching. I didn't want to read my Bible. I didn't care anything about praying. I didn't care anything about listening to gospel music. I didn't care anything about being anywhere, being around, nothing. I didn't, care. I didn't want to be around nobody. You don't be around nobody. And honestly, I'll be honest with you. Because like I said, I'm trying to be honest. I felt that way until this morning. I didn't want to be at church. I didn't want to be in the Word. I didn't want to pray. And I knew I was supposed to be preaching here tonight. Not, to, not here, but at, at Freedom I had, had intended and, and had planned on preaching there. And even, uh, even all last week and the week before, they didn't care nothing about being here. And then we got here. And I said, God, there's something going on, there's a block, and you've got to do something. If it, Restore me, renew me, whatever needs to happen, yeah. make it happen. Yeah. And we got in here, and we got seen in the choir, and the Spirit of God come over me, and I said, thank you, Lord, and we got in here, and the, the man of God got up and preached, and souls started getting saved, and the Spirit of God got over me a little bit more, and got over me a little bit harder, and then I got to studying God's Word here to preach tonight, and the Spirit of God got on me even harder, and even thicker, and even better, sitting down in the pew tonight, the Spirit of God got on me even harder, and even thicker here in the choir singing tonight, the Spirit of God, and I just want to thank God, amen, that even when a broken heart, when your heart gets broken, when it gets broken in two and crushed, that God comes by, that the Spirit of God can come up and sew up a broken heart that the Spirit of God can come by and mend a broken spirit. I thank God. Amen. Glory to God. He's been so good to me. But in studying and in looking and, and seeking God and trying to figure out through my broken heart and, and through my pain, trying to figure out what God would have me preach and I thought I'd come to the conclusion that I was supposed to preach from 1 John and preach on abiding in, in Jesus Christ. And I thought that sounds pretty good. I like to preach there, God said, I ain't what I want you to preach. And so God landed me right here. And like I said, I'll be as, as brief as I possibly can, get it done, done as fast as I possibly can. But the book of John, in chapter number 19, in verse number 30. See, I was, I was studying about a month ago now on the final words, words of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he said seven things, and, and some of those things shows his humanity and shows how he was 100% man and, and how he was talking to his, 
his mama and talking to John and, and, and some of the things showed that, that was fulfilling prophecy, the vinegar in his mouth and things like that. Uh, and his, his love for us, his forgiveness, Father, forgive him for they know not, things like that. I got to study on that and that's awesome. But this one thing has stuck with me. Uh, and I honestly, I preached this a while ago, about a month ago now, but this right here has been in my head. And I can't get it out of my head. The book of the Bible says in verse 30, John chapter 19, it says, When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Let's pray tonight. Our Heavenly Father God, Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, for the love that you show us. Thank you, Lord, for mending broken hearts. Thank you, Lord, for healing broken bodies. God, thank you, Lord, for, for touching us and blessing us the way that you have. But God, tonight I'm going to try and preach your word. I pray, God, tonight you would fill me up with the Holy Spirit of God. Give me your power and your presence and the fire from heaven on high. God, I pray, God, that you would bind the devil outside of this church tonight, God, that he'd have no power. Uh, God, that he'd not be able to hinder anybody, distract anybody. God, I pray, Lord, that you would bind him up, that he wouldn't be able to step foot on the church grounds. Uh, God, I believe you can do it tonight, and I pray you would. God, there'd be no more distraction, no more hindrance here tonight. At Bethel, God, I pray, Lord, uh, God, that you'd open each and every one of us up to receive the truth of your word and a blessing from your word. We thank you and praise you. God, fill me up. Rid me of sin. Rid me of shame, God. Uh, rid me of my own flesh, God, and fill in the gaps with you, God. I pray, Lord, you do the preaching tonight. In Jesus' name, I do pray. Amen. And so we see here in the book of John, chapter 19, uh, that Jesus says this phrase. And it's something, like I said, that stuck with me for quite some time. He said, it is finished. Well, most people can look at that and see it is finished. All right, Jesus said, it's, it's time to die. That's what Jesus, right? That's what most of us, we read that. Jesus is saying, it's time to die. He says, it's finished. And he gives up the ghost. We know uh, in, other, in other books of the gospel, he says, he, uh, he uh, said, Father, into thine hands, I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. He, laid, he died, right? And so most people see that, and that's where, well, okay, Jesus says it's time to die, and he dies. But I got to looking right here at the words, it is finished. And when and I agree, it means, it, 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 Jesus was saying, it's time to die, sure. He's saying so much more. There's so many implications in those words, it is finished, that I could preach from now until next week and still probably not be done. But God's given me a few points here, uh, and I'll try, I don't know if I'll get through all of them, but try to hit the highlights uh, or what God shows me to hit. To, but the first thing we see here uh, in, in it is finished is we see the satisfaction of the law. Turn with me to the book of, or the book of Matthew in chapter number 5. And I'm going to be doing some turning. You can turn with me if you want to, write them down. I would encourage you to do that. But Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy but to fulfill. And so what a lot of people don't know, and my, my goal here tonight, if nothing else gets done with my preaching, if, but to give you a deeper understanding of what happened on the cross and what Jesus is saying when he said it is finished, the first thing we want to look at is the satisfaction of the law. So when Jesus said it is finished, the law has been fulfilled. Uh, and so the law, well, some people know and some don't, the law uh, is what God gave Moses. That was the, uh, the statutes that the Jewish people were to live by and it's what points out our sins, yours and I's. Uh, and I'll try to in, in, in be as fast as I can, uh, but points out your and I sin. It's a book of laws, a whole book of rules that they were to follow. Uh, and if you didn't follow it, that was called sin. It was rebellion against God. Uh, and so uh, the way... Uh, 
you and I, the Jewish people, everybody that's ever existed could never live up to the law. None of us, there's what, 600 and some, some different rules, none of us, not any of us, could ever live up to that law and do every single one of those laws, which makes us a sinner. It means we've broken the law. And so because we've broken the law, we're going to be condemned to death. Uh, if you break the law, the only, uh, the only thing to get you out of the law is if you pay with your own blood to die. But God came up with a solution, temporary solution, so that you wouldn't have to die when you broke the law. He said, take a lamb a spotless, uh, beautiful lamb, take it and shed its blood on the mercy seat and sprinkle it onto the people so that, so that they don't have to die. And so that was great. That happens on the Day of Atonement uh, and your sins are atoned, but that only lasts for one year. In the Old Testament, this is all in the Old Testament, that only lasts when the lamb is slain uh, and the blood is poured on the mercy seat, that atones your sin for a year. Well, next year, you're going to do some more sinning. And so all that really does is take the debt that you've built up in, in uh, defying the law and puts it on to next year. And so you've got this year's debt, next year's debt, the year after that's debt, the year after that's debt. And so this lamb, this temporary kind of atonement wouldn't do any good for anybody when it come down to it. Darren, it wouldn't do any good for you. and do any good. We could go and kill all the lambs in the world. You and I could go find every spotless lamb that ever existed and cut its throat and put it on the mercy seat. We'd still have a debt. We'd still be sinners. Every one of us, every single one of us, we're still sinners. We've, all, all of us, everyone have broken the law. But when Jesus came, uh, he came as a spotless lamb, just like the spotless lamb that had to be sacrificed on the mercy seat uh, for the atonement of our sin. But this spotless lamb, uh, a man, a 100% man and 100% God who knew no sin uh, when he, that spotless lamb was taken uh, and he was killed upon the cross it fulfilled that law because his blood was strong enough to atone your and my sin his blood uh, was enough, the lamb's blood wasn't enough to atone yours and my sin forever, uh, uh, my blood or Darren's blood or brother's blood if we would have laid down our life on a cross that blood wouldn't have been enough to atone your sin uh, none of the, nobody's blood but Jesus's would have been enough to, to, to atone that for that sin. And so all of us are held up to this law. That's actually what makes sin, sin. I, uh, without the law, there is no sin. That's what Paul says. Uh, and so without that or without Jesus' blood, we would all be condemned to death through the law because that's what points out our sin. Uh, and so Jesus, because the law points out our sin, Jesus didn't destroy the law, but he fulfilled it. He came, he didn't, he said, I'm not come to destroy the law. He's not come to, to tear the law down or to say that there's no more sin because if Jesus took away the law, there would be nothing to point out our sin, but there would still be sin. But because Jesus came and fulfilled that law, the law went as far as it had to go until Jesus came by with grace, laid down his life upon uh, the old rugged cross uh, and shed his blood, the perfect spotless lamb, shed his blood to atone our sins so that we may go uh, and be free. We may live under the grace of God rather than under the law. All right, the next thing we see, the satisfaction of the law, the next is the switching of the wrath. Uh, the book of Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5, verse number 8 and 9. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. 
And so while we were breaking this law, while we, you and I are committing sinners, can we all agree here tonight that you and I, all of us, we've all sinned. I've sinned against God. I'm a sinner. Uh, I'm a no good, uh, rot gut, just a nasty, terrible, vile sinner. That's all I am. Uh, and so because I'm a sinner, that kindles the wrath of God because he's a just and a perfect God. Uh, and because sin exists, God's wrath is kindled because he's perfect and can't deal with sin uh, because he uh, sees the sin and it has to be destroyed. And so that kindles the wrath of God. And so you and I, uh, we have to endure the wrath of God if we sin. Uh, because we sin, at the end of our life, uh, we'll go to hell just like Darren was preaching about. Uh, because of our sin, we'll be sent to hell. And that, what hell is, some, the way that God gave me this, what hell is, it's where God's love, God's compassion towards us, God's grace, God's mercy, it's where God's love becomes wrath. Because God, lo- God loves you, and He loves you, and keeps on loving you, and will always love you. But at a certain point, if you don't give your life over to Jesus, if you don't uh, accept what Jesus done on the cross, at some point you're going to have to endure the wrath of God. And so when Jesus was put on the cross, uh, he was nailed there. He, uh, in turn, uh, took the wrath that was meant for us, our punishment. See, because we sin, uh, we've, uh, we've got all kinds of punishment coming our way because of our sin. And Jesus took that punishment, took the wrath of God, uh, took uh, all the things, all of our punishment, all of our wrongdoings. He took those in his own body and accepted the wrath of God onto his own flesh, into his own body, because he's the only one that could take it and raise again on the third day. That's another reason why he said it is finished. So uh, he's fulfilled the law. Uh, He's accepted the wrath of God into his own body so that you and I don't have to. See, we're not saved only from uh, from our sin. Yes, we're saved from sin. Uh, We're saved from this, saved from that. But we're saved from the the eternal wrath of God Uh, in hell. That's what hell is, is the eternal wrath of God. And that's what we're saved from is the wrath of God because Jesus took that wrath into his own body and he hung it there on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to... to, to suffer the wrath, but we could accept that Jesus suffered it for us and live without the wrath forever. I'm not going to have to endure the wrath of God. I may have to endure his chastisement. may have to endure some of the judgments that I've brought upon myself, but I'll never have to endure the full brunt of the wrath of God because Jesus did it on the cross. The next thing we see uh, is the setting loose of the Spirit. If you'll turn uh, to the book of Mark... Book of Mark chapter 15... Mark 15 and verse 38 says, And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And so we're going to go back to the Old Testament again. We talk about that veil. What is that veil? And so when God established the law, he established the temple, the tabernacle, uh, and he put set up to where there are places uh, uh, where Jesus... That, the reason we call this the house of God is because in the Old Testament, the temple was the house of God, where the Spirit of God dwelt in what we call the Holy of Holies. Uh, and what separated the Holy of Holies, where God dwelt, where the Spirit of God was dwelling, what separated that from the rest of the world was the veil. Uh, and it was supposed to be purple and red and blue... Uh, and have nice embroideries and things like that. And so in this temple there, uh, even in Jerusalem in Jesus' day, on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, uh, he's hung up on the cross and he says, it is finished. Uh, Jesus dies. We know the sky, the, the sky goes dark uh, and the veil, the Bible says it right there in Mark 15, the veil is rent. It's torn in two from top to bottom. God reached down and tore that veil, the thing that was separating the Spirit of God from you and I and from the rest of the world. At uh, least the high priest was the only person that could go into this place and if he wasn't right, if he wasn't where he needed to be, he'd walk in and drop dead 
dead because the Spirit of God was so strong in there because that's where God dwelled. And after Jesus died, and after he fulfilled the law, after that he took God's wrath upon his own body, took God's wrath and took our place, uh, he rent the veil into so that there wasn't a place where God uh, was dwelling but that he could dwell in you and I when we accept Jesus as our Savior. Uh, there's a lot of folk that think that, uh, that you have to do this to accept the Holy Spirit and you have to do this to get the Holy Spirit and you've got to speak in tongues and, and do this and do that. Honey, the only thing you've got to do uh, to get the Holy Spirit is spend the need of Jesus uh, and pray and ask Him to be your Savior and you've got the Holy Spirit. There's no baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's no this, no that. When you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit, and if you don't like that, I'll show you in the Bible where it says that. But listen to me, because the veil is rent, you and I now can be led by the Holy Spirit. We can be comforted by the Holy Spirit. We can have a friend that is a friend like no other. We can have Jesus living in our heart. We can have services like we had this morning, have services like we have tonight, where the Spirit of God is so thick in here, where the Spirit of God is so strong in here, that you almost want to fall down the altar and just stay there. Uh, where you can feel him working and feel him moving. If the veil would have never been rent, if the veil would have never been torn, we never would have had the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, dwelling in the house of God, leading and guiding us and showing us uh, all the ways to go and showing us what to do and and helping me. Darren, without the Spirit of God, I couldn't preach. Uh, Without the Spirit of God, I couldn't understand the Bible. Without the Spirit of God, uh, I wouldn't be able to sing the choir. Without the Spirit of God, I wouldn't be able to get up in the morning. And all because when Jesus said it is finished and he laid down his life on the cross, he reached down and rent that veil in two so that he released the Holy Spirit into the rest of the world so that you and I, we might feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, might feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and might feel the love of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Uh, The next thing we see, and I'm trying to go fast, I could preach and preach and preach on on all of these, but the next thing we see is the satisfying of the debt. I've said, you and I, we've racked up a debt uh, against God. We owe God. You and I owe God. We sure do. Uh, When we sin, we rack up. Just like if you break a law, you've got to pay a fine. Uh, When you sin against God, uh, the law says that you've got to pay a fine, that you owe a debt, and the debt that has to be paid according to the law is your life. The blood has to be shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. And so our sins uh, have have says that the law says that because we sin, we owe a debt, and that debt is our blood, that debt is our life. Uh, uh, And so Jesus, when he hung up on the cross, when he said, it is finished, uh, and he said, and he gave up the ghost and died, uh, and he uh, uh, fulfilled the law right there and then. Uh, uh, He uh, took God's wrath onto his own body. He satisfied the wrath of God. Uh, He uh, uh, set loose the Spirit of God, uh, and he uh, satisfied the debt of God, uh, the debt that you and I racked up, uh, no amount of money would ever have been able to pay it, no amount of, uh, of jewels or gold, no amount of service or labor would ever have been able to pay the, the, the bounty that you and I have racked up, the debt that we have that needs to be paid to God. None of us could ever have paid it, but Jesus, the Son of God, because He hung on a cross, and just like I said, uh, with taking the wrath, He hung on a cross, took our pace, or took our place, uh, uh, and paid the debt uh, that we owed God. And because He shed His blood, Uh, he paid that debt that we owed Uh, he took our place you and I uh, we had a place in the wrath of God and we have a payment of the debt to God and Jesus took our place uh, took the wrath and he paid the debt praise God 
without the paying of the debt, we wouldn't have been saved. Amen. Uh, and so, like I said, I'm trying to go fast. The next thing we see uh, is the separation from death. The book of 1 Corinthians, I want to read this to you. Uh, chapter number 15 and verse 55 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Jesus, uh, when he said it is finished and he died on the cross, uh, uh, he uh, fulfilled the law, he satisfied the law, uh, he switched the wrath onto his own body, he set the spirit loose, uh, uh, he satisfied the debt, uh, uh, and he gave us separation from death. Uh, you and I, listen, I was thinking about this while you were preaching this morning. Uh, us as humans, uh, uh, we are eternal beings. You say, well, that's, that's not true, we all die. We do. But we're eternal beings. There's never be a time, Darren, when you don't exist. There'll never be a time when I don't exist. Luke, there'll never be a time when you don't exist. And if you don't exist here on this earth, you're going to exist one of two places. You're going to exist in heaven, where we, when you get saved and you accept what Jesus did for you, uh, and you get saved and you go to heaven when you die, and you'll be with Jesus for all eternity. Uh, you'll be in paradise. You'll have a mansion. Uh, or you can, and this is what I mean by the separation of death, if you die without Jesus, you shed this earthly body without Jesus, you'll go to what the Bible calls the second death, the place hell, the place Darren was talking about. Uh, and so that's what I mean when we're separated from death. Uh, uh, we're separated from that second death because of what Jesus did on the cross. He died our death. Uh, the death that you and I owed, the death that you and I had to pay, the death that was, uh, that was uh, for us, uh, it's no longer stinging. It's no longer painful because we don't have to endure the wrath of God because Jesus died our death, uh, uh, took uh, the wrath onto his own body, and we don't have to go to hell, so we don't have to endure the second death. See, listen, it doesn't hurt for a Christian to die here on this planet because the, the other side is so much better. The other side is so much greater. The other side is so much sweeter. Uh, can you imagine? Uh, just when, in those last moments when you're fixing to cross over and you can see this earth uh, and the things that you thought you loved and the things that you thought uh, uh, that were so important to you and then you look across and here comes Jesus stretching out his hand, honey. Hallelujah to God. Uh, forget this old sin world. Forget this old ball of mud. Uh, I'm ready to go home. Uh, and because Jesus did that, we can see that. Because Jesus did that, because Jesus died our death. Death doesn't have to sting anymore for us. Death doesn't have to be painful. And I know it seems to me uh, today, in the past couple of weeks, there's been so many people passing on and dying and going on home. And for us here that's left on this earth, you think, that's awful hard. It's hard to lose a loved one. And I, I, I think about my papa all the time. And, I, and that was one of my best friends on this earth. And he died in 2018. Uh, and I think about him all the time and I still miss him. But I wouldn't bring him back for all the money in the world. I wouldn't, and he wouldn't come back. If there was a way that I could say, Papa, would you come and spend some time with me? He'd say, no way, son. I love you. I'll see you when you get here. And I ain't coming up. I ain't going back down there. He's experienced life without sin. He's experienced life without pain. Hey, he don't have to wear his oxygen tubes no more. Hallelujah. God, glory to God. All because Jesus died, paid his debt and died the death on the cross so that my Papa can go and experience all that so that you and I can experience all that. The next thing we see is the spreading of righteousness. Uh, you've all heard and you all know that our righteousness, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And I'm not, gonna, I'm not reading scripture because I'm trying to hurry. I want to preach on the last point. But you and I, uh, we don't have any righteousness. And if you don't know this, like you was talking about this morning, like Darren was talking about pride. 
Pride will tell you that you are righteous. Uh, your flesh will tell you that you are good. Uh, your flesh will tell you that you are awesome and that you're the coolest guy, you're the coolest girl in the world and that you've never done any wrong. The Bible points out to us uh, that we're sinners. Like I said, we're all hog gut sinners uh, uh, and we have no righteousness. Our righteousness is filthy rags. Our righteousness uh, uh, does not exist. I, I, I've always said it this way. Uh, you ain't got any good in you and you won't have any good in you unless you get Jesus in you. Uh, and that's the truth. So Jesus, when he said he is finished, uh, his righteousness when I accepted him as my savior because he's the only one with any kind of righteousness uh, he's the only one Listen, like, like I said he's the perfect spotless lamb of God uh, he ha has never sinned the sin that we know and the sin that we commit every day he's never known it uh, and doesn't know it and doesn't ever have to know it uh, he was never sinned at all and so he's righteous the only righteous being to ever exist uh, he's 100% righteous and we are 0% righteous and when we accept Jesus as our savior he imports his righteousness onto us so that when, G, when God looks down on us and he goes to looking for some righteousness, uh, he don't have to look at our own nasty righteousness that doesn't exist, but he can see Jesus' righteousness on us. I think it's uh, uh, interesting if you go into the... Uh, the Excuse me, the book of Revelation in chapter number 4, you'll see there's 20 and 4 saints uh, uh, and they're all clothed in white linen. That white linen is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, even in heaven, we don't have our own righteousness, but we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ because, and the reason that we can get that righteousness is because he died on the cross without the death of Jesus on the cross. We'd not be righteous. There's no, we couldn't make it into heaven. Uh, we never had the Holy Spirit to... We would be condemned to die through the law of God. We would be uh, uh, condemned to go unto the, de unto the wrath of God that is hell. Uh, we would have, like I said, no spirit to, uh, and we would still be under the law. They'd be things we couldn't eat. They'd be things we couldn't do. Things that seem like normal life to us. They'd be things that we couldn't do all because Jesus didn't come and die on the cross. The last thing I want to look at and, and I'm done right after here. But this is something that, uh, that the last time I, I studied for this message, son, it, it fired me up. Uh, but the last thing we see when Jesus said, it is finished. The last implication of Jesus' words, it is finished on the cross that I want to look at tonight, is the shout of victory. So when Jesus said it is finished, sure he said that, uh, uh, that the spirit's been loose and he said that the law's been fulfilled and he said the debt's been paid. He said that the wrath has been uh, turned onto me, from you onto me. He said, uh, said that death has been separated from you. But he said uh, something that just fires me up. He said the victory has been won. The victory's been won. The victory over hell, death, and the grave. The victory over the sin. The victory over the devil. Victory over your lust. Victory over your... Hey, listen to all the sins you've committed when Jesus said it is finished those sins were defeated right there on the cross the victory's been won that fires me up read with me again uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, 57 says but thanks be to God which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and so because Jesus died on the cross for yours and my sin we now have victory over those sins uh, hey there's even victory now over the wrath of God victory over the debt that's been paid victory over not having the spirit victory uh, over 
all the bad things victory over. Hey, it pleases me. It thrills me to know that I've got victory over the devil. Uh, there's been times in the past month uh, where the devil's come and he's grabbed me by the sleeve and tried to take me places. Uh, he's tried to whisper in my ear and get me down low. And he's won a couple times. Uh, he's got me discouraged a couple times. Uh, got me ready to feel like I wouldn't need to preach anymore. Hey, but there's victory over that old uh, stupid evil devil. I'm telling you tonight that not because Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, laid down his life, uh, took the nails and took our sin. There's victory over that old devil. There's victory over the storms in your life. Victory over the pain you feel. Victory over the hurt that you're going through. Victory over the things that are getting you down. Victory over your uh, lust and your temptations. Hey, some of us tonight, some of us tonight, we need victory over our temptations. There's some people here tonight, they've been struggling with a temptation since they was young. Struggling with it and hurting with it and trying to get rid of it on their own. Let me tell you something, you can't defeat, uh, listen to me, you can't defeat temptation on your own. You can't defeat the devil on your own. That's a lesson I had to learn, uh, and I learned it just last year. I used to pray all the time in my daily prayers, Lord, give me the strength to beat the devil. I used to pray that all the time. Lord, give me the strength to beat the devil. Lord, give me the strength to, to fight the devil and to combat him uh, and to fight him. I kept losing and losing and losing. And finally God said, won't you just let me take care of that? And I said, God, would you fight my battles for me? And he come in and kicked down the door and whooped him. I throwed him down across the driveway and sent him on down the road. Praise God. We can't beat the devil. You can't beat your own temptations. But because Jesus, because Jesus died on the cross and laid down his life, took your sin, took your punishment, took the wrath of God and had to live without God for a little bit. Because he did all that, we have victory over hell, death, the grave, over temptation, lust, and all, all sorts of mannerisms of sin and, temp and with victory over the devil. Praise God. Some, that'll sink in with some of you. It's maybe tonight when you get home and get to thinking about victory. That win, we're going to win. Hey, and if we don't get victory here on earth, we're getting victory in the next life, amen. Praise be unto God uh, that if I don't ever uh, get victory over, over some things, I don't ever uh, get undiscouraged or get encouraged again. I don't ever do this or do that. If I don't, but when I die or when Jesus comes back and says, come on home, hey, let me tell you, I'll have the greatest victory that's ever been won. I think about our Christmas play. Uh, we get down to the white throne judgment. Uh, praise God, I'm going to be sitting on the right side of it. Uh, uh, and I look over and here comes old smutty face walking down the aisle and he bows down the knee and says, Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah, victory has been won forevermore. Victory's been won forever. We won't never lose again. Can you imagine... Say you're a betting man, you're a betting woman. And there's a sports team that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's fixed for them. And they cannot lose. They can't lose. Are you going to bet your money on them? I would. Put all my money, put my, hey, I'll put my truck payment down on it to, hey, and put mom and dad's mortgage down on it. Hey, I'll put it all down on it. To, if I know that they're going to win, honey, what have I got to lose? Hey, we're going to win. We're going to win. Amen. Glory to God. We're going to win. What have we got to lose? Glory to God. That was great, preacher. 
Bible says from victory unto victory, amen, so just victory unto victory, amen, what's almost like, what's next, amen, you think about a prisoner who's sitting there in a, in a cell, and there he is, he's got a death sentence hanging over his head, and say they come down, the guards come down and say, you've been released, someone has set you free, and they would write the words to telestai over the top of his cell, it means paid in full. It means it is finished. The debt has been paid. The debt is now canceled to telestai. Think about this. When an artist or when a runner is running a race, when he steps across the finish line, he would say to telestai. There's not another step I need to take in the race. It is finished. I've crossed the finish line. When an artist is painting a beautiful painting and the last thing they do is they sign their name on it with that last stroke, they would say to telestai. It is a masterpiece. You cannot add or take away from it. It's just what I wanted, amen. That's God working in your life to tell us that. It is finished. One of these days, praise God, the same thing will be said for you, amen. All right, our next preacher, brother, Caleb Forbes. Y'all give him a good welcome, amen. Tonight we're going to turn to John chapter 3. I thank God for what he's been doing. I thank God for what he's been doing in my life. And uh, I'll try to be as brief as I can. John chapter 3. And I think about, uh, just like Darren was saying earlier, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Darren, you don't know this, but I read that verse to somebody this, this, today. And uh, I just thank God for, for that. And I think about when the jailer comes in before Paul and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he says, Believe in the Lord Jesus. I think about in John three sixteen, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes, believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. And I think about believing. I, whenever I preached last Sunday morning, I talked about the word righteousness. And I talked about how a lot of times there's these words, these little words that have such a vast meaning that we, uh, that we a lot of times as Christians look right over. We think we might have an understanding of what these words mean like mercy. Uh, whenever we thought we had a grasp of mercy and then God started showing Darren more about that word mercy and he started showing our church more about what that little word mercy means. And these little words have a great big meaning. And I think about believing. I think about faith. And I think about how a lot of times uh, somebody might come and hear the gospel message and they hear about, well, just believe on Jesus. And they say, well, what does that mean to believe? What does that mean to put my faith and my trust in Jesus? And if you guys will hang on with me just a minute tonight, I'm, I might try to help clear that up for someone. As we look in uh, John chapter 3, we're going to read verses 13 and 14. It says, And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight, God, and I ask you to help me, Father. I ask you, God, to take my pitiful little mouth, God, and use my pitiful words, God, to lift up your name, God, to help some people here tonight, God, to help your people that are saved, God, to be encouraged and being reminded of what you've done for us, God, and to help that one that's here tonight, God, that's lost, that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, God, to help them to hear the good news, God, and to hear what you've done for them, God, and to believe in faith, God. I pray you'd help us here tonight. We thank you for everything you do. Praise be your name, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So number one, we're going to look at learning the situation. As we see here in John chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night, and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except that God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus is what Jesus says, a master of Israel, in verse number 10. If you look in the, in the Greek, that means he was a teacher. He was, a, he, was one of the, he was the head Bible study leader of all of the Jews of his day. Whenever somebody had a question about the Old Testament, they would come to Nicodemus and speak to him. He was a, a ruler of the Pharisees. Uh, of all the people in Jerusalem, he was probably one of the most wealthy. And uh, as he comes to Jesus, this is the man who everybody looks at and they call him teacher. They call him master. And he comes and he thinks, as he is a, a political man... He comes with flattery and he tells Jesus, uh, Rabbi. And so he comes and he's given the illusion of humbling himself and he's saying, even though I'm the, the rabbi here, I'm going to even address you as rabbi. And he says, we know you were a teacher come from God for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. But Jesus, in verse uh, 25 in the chapter before, it says, he needed not that any should testify of men for he knew what was in man. So before Nicodemus even opened his mouth and spoke, Jesus already knew what was in his heart. Jesus already knew Nicodemus' motives and the reason that he was coming. And Nicodemus could see that there was something in Jesus that he didn't have. There was something in Jesus' followers that he himself did not have. And he could see these miracles that Jesus was doing. And he thought, I don't have that power. This man must be sent from God. And so as he begins his flattery with Jesus, Jesus cuts straight through all that because he knows exactly what's in Nicodemus' heart. And he says, verily, verily, or amen, amen, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That word see is an important word. And you know, uh, Nicodemus, when he hears this, he doesn't understand. He says, what do you mean I must be born again? Uh, can, and he says in verse number 4, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And I sense uh, sarcasm as he says this. He's almost in a way mocking Jesus. He said, what am I going to do? Crawl back in my mother's womb and be born? Because he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. Maybe you're here tonight and you hear that. You must be born again. And you say, what does that even mean? What do you mean I must be born again? Born a second time. And Jesus answers and says to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto ye that ye must be born again. So 
Whenever you're born, the first time here on this earth, you're born into the flesh. But Jesus is telling Nicodemus, well, not just born of the flesh, but you've got to be born of the Spirit if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God. And there's no way, apart from being born again, that you are going to enter into that kingdom. And the Bible says in verse number 8, the wind blows where it listeth. And now here's the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Just like on the morning that I was saved, on the morning that I was born again, it wasn't because I woke up that morning and said, you know what, today would be a mighty good day to be born again. And I came here and decided I was going to be born again. It wasn't because Darren said, Caleb Forbes, this morning's the morning you're going to be born again. It wasn't because my mama said, Caleb, you're going to be born again this morning. Come on, let's go to church. But just like the wind blows and you can't see where it comes from and you can't see where it's going, the Holy Spirit blew by me that morning and He said, today's the day, son, you're going to be born again and I was born again of the spirit that day but Nicodemus when he hears this he doesn't understand still he says how could these things be and Jesus says unto him art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things Nicodemus this is the way it's always been from the time of Abraham until the day that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus any man who's ever been saved is because they were born again of the spirit of God and as he says you are a master of Israel and know not these things So Jesus, instead of leaving Nicodemus in his place, leaving him where he is, Jesus knows, as we read in chapter number 6, a man must be drawn by the Father. But what Nicodemus doesn't realize is his entire coming to Jesus, his entire meeting by night, everything that's going on here is because he's being drawn by the Father behind the scenes, and he can't even see what's going on. I hear people say sometimes, I found God. But brother and sister, let me tell you, if you're saved, it's not because you found God. It's because He came by, and He seeking sought that which was lost, and He saved you. But Jesus, knowing that Nicodemus doesn't understand what this means, He doesn't leave him where He's at. He doesn't leave him in this position of ignorance, but... Nicodemus being a man of the law, Nicodemus being a Pharisee, Nicodemus being a teacher of the Old Testament is very familiar with the Old Testament. He could probably, you could say Numbers chapter 23 verse 2 and Nicodemus could tell you it like that. He knew the Bible probably better than every single one of us in this room but yet he wasn't born again. And so as Nicodemus uh, is asking Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus says, verse 12, Well, if I have told you of earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And that Son of Man would be a title that held a lot of weight with Nicodemus. When he hears the title, the Son of Man, he would think back to Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 whenever Daniel has the vision of the Son of Man and he comes with the clouds of heaven and he comes in before the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days being God the Father, and the Son of Man being the Messiah who walks in. And as Nicodemus hears Jesus say this, no man ascends to heaven, but he that's come down from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Turn to Numbers chapter 21 real quick. Numbers chapter 21. 
Whenever Jesus says, just as the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up, Nicodemus would have immediately knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. He's speaking of Numbers chapter 21. and We'll start at the, the end of verse 4. It says, The soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. You've got to remember that God has rescued the Israelites out of their bondage, out of their slavery that was in Egypt. He's led them out into the wilderness. He's taken them to the promised land. He's given them promises. He's taken care of them. Time after time after time, He's rescued them from their enemies that are all around them. And in this particular situation, God has just rescued them from the Canaanites and delivered them with a great victory. And it says, They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea and could pass the land of Edom and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. All of a sudden as they're walking, they start getting downcast in their souls. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt? To die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread. Whenever they were hungry and they didn't have anything to eat, God let manna come down from heaven that they may pick it up and eat it. And they say... We're sick and tired of this. We're sick and tired of God. We're sick and tired of you, Moses. We're sick and tired of eating this bread that God's providing for us. And God, in His wrath, sends these fiery serpents out. In verse 6, we says, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee, praying to the Lord that he might take the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. So to be saved from the wrath of God, the people had to look upon this serpent. As the serpents came out of the wilderness and bit these people, they're sitting here, they're writhing in pain, they're dying, and... They come to Moses, they say, we realize what we've done wrong. We realize that we shouldn't have said that against you. We realize we shouldn't have said that against God. Please pray and ask God to forgive us. And God says, Moses, I'll tell you what to do. You take a brass serpent, you make it, make it look exactly like those fiery serpents. You take it and put it upon a pole. You hold it up high. Any of the people who've been bitten, if they'll just look up at that brass serpent, if they'll look upon it, they'll live. They'll be healed. My wrath will be shut off from them. And so as as he makes this bronze serpent, we see throughout the Bible that bronze is a symbol of judgment. We see that the serpent is a symbol of sin. It's their, uh, in this story, it's their affliction that's come upon them. As we look at the pole, the pole is representative of a banner that's high and lifted up for all to see. And you see what the text doesn't say here. The text does not say that, well, if they'll pray to the serpent, then they'll live. It doesn't say that if Moses prays to the serpent for them that they'll live. It doesn't say that if they climb the pole up to the serpent that they'll live. It doesn't say that if they touch the serpent they'll live. It doesn't say if they go and kill all the other serpents that they see that they'll live. It doesn't say that they can repeat phrases about this serpent. It doesn't say that they have to know about the serpent. But it says that they have to look unto it. It doesn't say that they're to look at themselves. It doesn't say that they're to look at the bite where the snake bit them. It doesn't say that they're to look to Aaron, their high priest. It doesn't say that they're to look to their family. It doesn't say that they're to look to their past. No, but it says that they were to look unto the means of salvation that God had supplied for them. So then, when they did, they were saved. 
I think, why would Jesus tell Nicodemus, of all the things Jesus could compare himself to, why would Jesus tell Nicodemus that he's like this servant? Because Jesus claims that he is the Son of Man. That was his favorite title for himself. And he says, even as the serpent was lifted up by Moses, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And see, as Nicodemus would have heard this, they thought of the Messiah coming as a brilliant military leader who was going to ride in on the white horse and be high and lifted up and he was going to destroy the rest of the enemies of Israel and lift up Israel and set them on high. And so whenever they thought about the the Son of Man being lifted up, they would have thought about the Messiah sitting on the throne in His power. But Jesus has something different in mind when He says He's going to be lifted up. You see, when we see that the serpent was made of bronze, it wasn't that God went and told Moses to get one of the serpents that was already there, kill it and hang it on a pole. He didn't take a live serpent that was uh, poisonous and hang it up on the pole, but it was in the likeness of that serpent. It was like those serpents in every way, but without the venom, because it was made of brass. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Just like that serpent was hung there, but that serpent was made in the likeness of the serpents. So Jesus was hung upon the cross. You see, He came and He was born in the likeness of sinful flesh, but yet without sin. He had no sin within Himself. Uh, And Jesus, like us in every way, without sin. And that takes us to the garden. We know that we hear of the serpent, and we're reminded in the Bible of the serpent that came to Adam and Eve in the garden. And the serpent came and it tempted Eve, and it said, Did God really say that if you ate of this tree, that you will die? He questioned God's authority. He questioned God's character. And he appealed to the lust of Eve. And as Adam pulled the fruit from that tree and he bit into it, he didn't realize it, but spiritually that serpent was biting into him. The serpent is representative of sin and the curse. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 5, like Josh talked about earlier, that every one of us are in Adam. Once you're born, you're born into sin. Just like David said, in my mother's womb I was conceived into sin. The Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. All like sheep have turned away. And so, as we see, we come to ourselves. Just like the Israelites in the wilderness were bitten by the fiery serpents and that poison ran through their veins and they were dying. Spiritually, you and I have been bitten by that serpent of sin, you and I have a far worse consequence of the bite than what they had. You see, their their consequence was death. But our consequence not only is death, but it's the second death. It's like Darren preached on this morning. It's hell. It's like Josh preached on tonight. It's the wrath of God abiding upon us. Every single one of us have been bitten by that serpent. And, but we look at the pole, that banner that was lifted up. We look at the cross and Jesus says, even as the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. 
Jesus, the sinless one, as he's lifted up in uh, John chapter 3, verse 14. And it says in the Bible that Jesus was made sin for us. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, God the Father, he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Just as that serpent was the cause of their affliction and what had bitten them, just as the sin was hanging upon the cross in Jesus' flesh as He hung up there uh, for you and for me, He took our sin into His flesh. He took our sin upon Himself. The Father made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The the serpent represents a curse. In Galatians uh, 3.13 it says, Christ has redeemed us. From the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed that everyone that hangs upon the tree. In John chapter 8, verse 28, it says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you shall know that I am. Just like Moses spoke to God in the burning bush and he says, What shall I tell them your name is? He says, You tell them I am that I am. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. I'm the self-existing one, Jehovah God. That is his covenant name. And Jesus tells the Pharisees, When you see the Son of Man lifted up, when you see him hanging upon the cross, just like that serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, you'll know that he is the I am. That He is Jehovah God. And He was made that curse for us hanging upon the tree so that we could be free from the curse. We could be free from the bite. We could be free from the sting of sin. Zechariah 12 verse 10 it says, Look upon me whom they have pierced. As they took Jesus up on Calvary, they put the nails through His hands. They put the nails through His feet. They stood up the cross and He hung there. And he was forsaken by the Father. He suffered the wrath of God there upon that cross. And he says that if you will look upon him, you will be saved. Faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. A.W. Tozer. As the brass represents judgment, as Jesus hung upon the cross, we see that the judge of all creation was judged there in our place. We see that life himself was slain. We see that love himself was succumbed to hate. And your life could only come through his death. Just as the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, they must look. Just as Jesus is lifted, We must believe. In John chapter 3, back in our original text, he says, So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is saying that faith in Him, that believing in Him, is the same thing that the Israelites did in the wilderness. You know, they didn't have to do anything else but look up there upon that pole. All they had to do is look at the means that God had provided for them. Just like with us, we are just to look at Jesus. It's not that we have to raise our hand and do certain things. It's not that we have to walk an aisle. It's not that you have to sign a book. It's not that you have to recite some kind of prayer. It's not that you have to do anything. Because just as Josh preached, it is finished. As Jesus hung on the cross, he said, To tell us die. That means it's paid in full. It's done. And all you have to do is in faith look upon Jesus Christ. And Jesus says in Isaiah chapter 45, Look unto me, all you ends of the earth, 
and be ye saved. There's a story of Charles Spurgeon whenever he was saved. I'll read this to you real quick. He says, And sometimes I think I might have been in darkness and despair. Now it had not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning. When I was going to a place of worship, when I could go no further, I turned down a court and I came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. And in that chapel there might have been a dozen or 15 people. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed up, I suppose. A poor man, a shoemaker, a tailor or something of that sort, went to the pulpit to preach and he was obligated to stick to his text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. The text was, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Isaiah 45 verse 22. He did not even pronounce the words rightly, but that did not matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in this text. He began thus, Dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says to look. Now, that does not take a great deal of effort. It ain't lifting your foot or lifting your finger. It is just look. Well, a man need not to go to college to learn how to look. You may be the biggest fool and yet you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand a year to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. But this is what the text says. And then it says, look unto me. Ah, he says in a broad Essex, Many of ye that look to yourselves, ain't no use in looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. The good man, he followed up his text in this way. Look unto me, I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I'm dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend, and I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father. Oh, look to me, look to me. And when he had gone about that length, and managed to spin out about ten more minutes, he was finally at the length of his tether. And he looked at me under the gallery, and I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. And he said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did. I had not been accustomed to having remarks made about my personal appearance from the pulpit before. However, it was a good blow struck. He continued, you will always be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death. Death, if you do not obey my text, but if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. And then he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist can, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. And then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun, and I could have risen in that moment and sun with the most enthusiastic of them, of the precious blood of Christ. God has sent me here tonight. I don't know who you are. I don't know who needs to hear that message. But faith is gazing upon Jesus in your soul. It's looking upon Him and what He's done for you. It's looking upon the cross and Him bleeding there. It's looking upon the death that He died in your place. And not just believing that He did it, but believing that He did it for even a sinner like you. And trusted that His Word is true. Believing in Him in faith. Look upon Jesus and be ye saved. Luke had asked me, he said, Dad, what are we going to 
usually you'll have a theme for January. What, what is our theme for January? This, was, this is what I told him. Focus on Jesus. And I know you think, well, that's what we do every time we're here. I wonder if that's what we do every time we're here. We need to take time to focus on Jesus, just like these two preachers have said tonight. It is finished. Look and live. <laughs> it's that simple. You may say, well, it's like he said, you don't have to pray. You don't have to. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll look to him, if you'll call upon him. One time I was preaching a revival. We're going to say this and I'm going to be done. I was preaching a revival. Never been there before. And we had some people come down to the altar and call on the Lord. And we were praying with them, right? And I was hearing them pray and call on the Lord. And I just want to make sure that people call on the Lord. But one came down that could not speak. It's not that they would not speak, but they have never had the gift to ever speak. They were mute. How are they going to call on the Lord? How am I going to know? How are they going to tell me? But I saw them tears <laughs> as they started down that aisleway. And somebody says, well, you have to be in the altar to be saved. That's not what it says. Well, preacher Darren, you have to be in the church to be saved. That's not what it says. Amen. But this person, I really believe as soon as they got up, they couldn't even call out. But as soon as they got up, I believe the moment they looked to Jesus, God saved them. Before they ever got down. Had people come and say, how are we ever going to know? I said, you know what? When we get to heaven, we're going to know. Because the minute they got up, I believe they were saved. That very moment. And it's just that simple. It's just the moment of getting up. That moment of looking to him. That moment, if it's raising that hand, if it is calling out loud, if it's praying in this altar. There's so many ways that you can do it. But there has to be a definite time that you have looked to Jesus Christ. That you have called upon Jesus Christ. Because he Paid it all. Do not depend on anything that you do. Well, these fiery serpents are biting everybody and everybody's dying. And you're telling me to look to a brazen serpent lifted up on a pole and I'll live? That's the stupidest thing we've ever heard. Give me some salve and I'll bite. Give me some presto peels and I'll buy them. It's got to be something I take Something I do, but look, I mean, imagine going to your doctor and your doctor saying, hey, you got COVID, but all you got to do is look to a serpent on a pole and you'll be healed. That ain't going to work. What's but it's that simple that when you look by faith, when you take God at his word and look to him by faith, it is that simple. And can you see the first ones that said, you know what, what have I got to lose? And they looked. And immediately the snake bite was gone away. And their flesh was back whole again. And they had been spared. Amen. Listen, as Moses began to pray, God did not take the snakes away. The serpents were not taken away. The serpents were still there. Sin has not been taken away. Sin is still present. We fight it all the time. But he did say, if we'd look to him, he would live. <laughs> Hallelujah to God. Amen. It's really just that simple. Hey, can you imagine some, some little feller saying, get me closer, daddy, get me closer, daddy. And he looks and he lives, amen, and he's rejoicing. And he comes by some old timer that's laying there on the edge of his tent. And he says, sir, 
All you have to do is look and live. God has given Moses the word. God has given Moses the promise. Just look like I did live. And the old man would say, but I'm bigger than you. And I'm a bit worse than you. And I'm in worse shape than you. you. It may have worked for you, but it won't work for me. Honey, I've got good news for you. Anybody, whosoever you are, if you'll look to him, it will work. He will save you. It's that simple, amen. You stand to your feet tonight. Your head's bowed, nobody's looking. Anybody here? Say, Preacher Darren, I'm a whosoever that needs to be saved. I want to look to him. Is anybody? I'd just like to know. Preacher, pray for me. I want to be saved. Pray with me. I want to be saved. Anybody? Is everybody here? You're saved. Everybody. Examine your heart. I can't examine you. I can't do that. But you have to examine yourself. Are you saved? Father, I thank you for the precious word of God that has been boldly declared in this pulpit. Thank you for these young men and the ministry that you've given unto them. Help them, God, to be faithful to the calling that you've placed upon their life. Thank you for the spirits working in their lives. And I pray, God, you would continue to grow them and mature them in the faith. Thank you, Father, for this church at Bethel. And help us, God, that here we have young men that are preaching the word of God. And how dare we, should we ever try to offend them in any manner and to cause them to stumble by something that we do or say, God help us. It would be better that a millstone would be wrapped around our neck and us be thrown in the sea than try to offend these young men preaching the word. Help us, God, to line up with them and get behind them and pray for them and press forward together with them. And for this we ask and your help with in Jesus' name. Everybody says...